many of us in this world find ourselves searching for ways to feel more alive. We move through our lives day after day, living through the same repetitive cycles and the same stressful patterns that often leave us feeling defeated, underappreciated, or unfulfilled. But what if there were a different way to perceive life? What if out there we were able to find the keys to a happy, healthy, and fulfilling reality right here, right now? For those of us who are looking for a way to transform our lives, for those of us who want to learn how to fully live in this moment, to change how we feel, how we perceive the world, and awaken to a better reality so we can fully live this life. This is the Live This Life Podcast. I'm your host, Heath Cummings. I'm here to inspire you to ask yourself the question, are you living or are you killing time? What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode. I'm excited to read another chapter of Power of Now and get this one into another recording. These chapters that we've been reading from the book have been a very big hit so far with people. Uh, I know that there was a couple of um, discussions in some Facebook groups with Eckhart Tolle and Power of Now, and uh, I know some of the people from those groups have been listening, so thank you very, very much for those who are following along on these episodes and listening to those chapters. Now, one quick thing before we move on to chapter two is just one thing from chapter one that, that resonated with me the most since the last reading was the whole concept of taking back control over your mind when you recognize that you you aren't controlling it, when you're having one of those lesser enlightened moments where you kind of realize that the monkey mind is taking over or the, the old you, the ego, was starting to amp up and you can immediately put the brakes on it. And that comes with practice. That comes first with recognizing that there are two different versions of your thought patterns. There's the one that's the egoic version and then the one that's sort of the the higher mind once you start to recognize these things and awaken a little bit. And I've had some of those moments in the last few weeks. It's been a very, very challenging uh, set of weeks here for us with the uh, trip that I had canceled and some family illness and some challenging things professionally. Um, and I definitely could feel myself going down a, a negative road or going down and having a, a couple of reactions that weren't of the most enlightened type of reactions. And when I can kind of recognize that I'm not having the type of reaction that I should or even catching myself immediately when I've had it and shifting my my thoughts or my, my direction of conversation, it, it's something that I, I've stepped back after those conversations have passed and was like, wow, I'm glad I caught myself. I'm glad I didn't go into old thought patterns. So I thought that was kind of relevant to the last chapter when I was looking at some of my, some of my notes here from chapter one. And also a reminder, in these chapters in the book, there's a little symbol that Eckhart put in the book that are intended to be a pause so that you can reflect on whatever it was that was read and take a moment to think about it. So um, I'll play a brief little moment of music instead of saying, you know, I'm going to do a brief pause. I'm just going to play that music. Uh, whether you pause the podcast, rewind what we just listened to, uh, whatever you choose to do, it's intended for you to just reflect for a moment on whatever the discussion. And one other thing I'd like to mention if you listen to the podcast and you're enjoying it, if you could give us a rating and review on iTunes, um, that's one of the 
biggest platforms that people are listening to our podcast on right now. And it really is one of the best places to get exposure. Um, and you know, the, the ratings and reviews, they're not only great for exposing the podcast, but it definitely gives me a bit of a boost, uh, to, to show me that people are listening to the podcast. I haven't heard a whole lot of feedback one way or another yet. Um, I know that our listeners are starting to grow pretty exponentially, which is great, but I would love to hear what people are thinking of it. And if I see any reviews on there, I will definitely read them on the podcast. So please give a rating and review if you feel so uh, inspired to do that. So without further ado, let's get it growing here and get into chapter two of The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, Consciousness, The Way Out of Pain, Create No More Pain in the Present. Nobody's life is entirely free of pain and sorrow. Isn't it a question of learning to live with them rather than trying to avoid them? The greater part of human pain is unnecessary. It is self-created as long as the unobserved mind runs your life. The pain that you create now is always some form of non-acceptance, some form of unconscious resistance to what is. On the level of thought, the resistance is some form of judgment. On the emotional level, it is some form of negativity. The intensity of the pain depends on the degree of resistance to the present moment, and this in turn depends on how strongly you are identified with your mind. The mind always seeks to deny the now and to escape from it. In other words, the more you are identified with your mind, the more you suffer. Or you may put it like this, the more you're able to honor and accept the now, the more you are free of pain of suffering, and free of the egoic mind. Why does the mind habitually deny or resist the now? Because it cannot function and remain in control without time, which is past and future. So it perceives the timeless now as threatening. Time and mind are in fact inseparable. Imagine the earth devoid of human life, inhabited only by plants and animals. Would it still have a past and future? Could we still speak of a time in any meaningful way? The question, what time is it? Or what's the date today? If anybody were there to ask it, would be quite meaningless. The oak tree or the eagle would be bemused by such a question. What time, they would ask. Well, of course, it's now. The time is now. What else is there? Yes, we need the mind as well as time to function in this world, but there comes a point where they take over our lives, and this is where dysfunction, pain, and sorrow set in. The mind, to ensure that it remains in control, seeks continuously to cover up the present moment with past and future, and so the vitality and infinite creative potential of being, which is inseparable from the now, becomes covered up by time your true nature becomes obscured by the mind. An increasingly heavy burden of time has been accumulating in the mind, in the human mind. All individuals are suffering under this burden, but they also keep adding to it every moment whenever they ignore or deny that precious moment or reduce it to a means of getting to some future moment, which only exists in the mind, never in actuality. The accumulation of time in the collective an individual human mind also holds a vast amount of residual pain from the past. 
If you no longer want to create pain for yourself and others, if you no longer want to add the residue of past pain that still lives on in you, then don't create any more time, or at least no more than is necessary to deal with the practical aspects of your life. How to stop creating time. Realize deeply that the present moment is all you ever have. Make the now the primary focus of your life. Whereas before you dwelt in time and paid brief visits to the now, have your dwelling place in the now and pay brief visits to past and future when required to deal with the practical aspects of your life situation. Always say yes to the present moment. What could be more futile, more insane, than to create inner resistance to something that already is? What could be more insane than to oppose life itself, which is now and always now? Surrender to what is. Say yes to life and see how life suddenly starts working for you rather than against you. In italics it says, The present moment is sometimes unacceptable, unpleasant, or awful. It is as it is. Observe how the mind labels it and how this labeling process, this continuous sitting in judgment, creates pain and unhappiness. By watching the mechanics of the mind, you step out of its resistance patterns and you can, then, you, you can then allow the present moment to be. This will give you a taste of the state of inner freedom from external conditions, the state of true inner peace. Then see what happens and take action if necessary or possible. Accept, then act. Whatever the present moment contains, accept it as if you had chosen it. Always work with it, not against it. Make it your friend and ally, not your enemy. This will miraculously transform your whole life. Past pain, dissolving the pain body. As long as you are unable to access the power of the now, every emotional pain that you experience leaves behind a residue of pain that lives on in you. It merges with the pain from the past, which was already there, and becomes lodged in your mind and body. This, of course, includes the pain you suffered as a child, caused by the unconsciousness of the world into which you were born. This accumulated pain is a negative energy field that occupies your body and mind. If you look on, it is an, is invisible. It is an invisible entity in its own right. This accumulated pain is a negative energy field that occupies your body and mind. If you look on it as an invisible entity in its own right, you are getting quite close to the truth. It's the emotional pain body. It has two modes of being, dormant and active. The pain body may be dormant 90% of the time in a deeply unhappy person, though it may be active up to 100% of the time. Some people live almost entirely through their pain body, while others experience it only in certain situations, such as an intimate relationship or a situation linked with past loss or abandonment, physical or emotional hurt, and so on. Anything can trigger it, 
particularly if it resonates with a pain pattern from your past. When it is ready to awaken from its dormant stage, even a thought or innocent remark made by someone close to you can activate it. Some pain bodies are obnoxious but relatively harmless, for example like a child who won't stop whining. Others are vicious and destructive monsters, true demons. Some are physically violent. Many more are emotionally violent. Some will attack people around you or close to you, while others may attack you, their host. Thoughts and feelings you have about your life then become deeply negative and self-destructive. Illness and accidents are often created in this way. Some pain bodies drive their hosts to suicide. When you thought you knew a person and then you are suddenly confronted with this alien, nasty creature for the first time, you are in for quite a shock. However, it's more important to observe it in yourself than in someone else. Watch out for any sign of unhappiness in yourself, in whatever form it may be the awakening pain body. This can take the form of irritation, impatience, a somber mood, a desire to hurt, anger, rage, depression, a need to have some drama in your relationship, and so on. Catch it in the moment it awakens from its dormant state. The pain body wants to survive just like every other entity in existence. It can only survive if it gets you to unconsciously identify with it. It can then rise up, take you over, quote, become you, and live through you. It needs to get its, quote, food through you. It will feed on any experience that resonates with its own kind of energy, anything that creates further pain in whatever form. Anger, destructiveness, hatred, grief, emotional drama, violence, and even illness. So the pain body, when it has taken you over, will create a situation in your life that reflects back its own energy frequency for it to feed on. Pain can only feed on pain. Pain cannot feed on joy. It finds it quite indigestible. Once the pain body has taken you over, you want more pain. You become a victim or a perpetrator. You want to inflict pain or you want to suffer pain or both. There isn't really much difference between the two. You are not conscious of this, of course, and will vehemently claim that you do not want pain. But look closely and you will find that your thinking and behavior are designed to keep the pain going for yourself and others. If you were truly conscious of it, the pattern would dissolve. For to want more pain is insanity and nobody is consciously insane. The pain body, which is the dark shadow cast by the ego, is actually afraid of the light of your consciousness. It is afraid of being found out. Its survival depends on your unconscious identification with it, as well as on your unconscious fear of facing the pain that lives in you. But if you don't face it, if you don't bring the light of your consciousness into the pain, you'll be forced to relive it again and again. The pain body may seem to you like a dangerous monster that you cannot bear to look at, but I assure you that it's an insubstantial phantom that cannot prevail against the power of your presence. Some spiritual teachings state that all pain is ultimately an illusion, and this is true. The question is, is it true for you? A mere belief does not make it true. Do you want to experience pain for the rest of your life and keep saying that's an illusion? Does that free you from the pain? What are we concerned with here? What we are concerned with here is how you can realize this truth. That is, make it real in your own experience. 
So the pain body doesn't want you to observe it directly and see it for what it is. The moment you observe it, feel its energy within you, and take your attention into it, the identification is broken. A higher dimension of consciousness has come in. I call it presence. You are now the witness or the watcher of the pain body. This means that it cannot use you anymore by pretending to be you, and it can no longer replenish itself through you. You've found your own innermost strength. You've accessed the power of now. The question in italics is, what happens to the pain body when we become conscious enough to break through our identification with it? Consciousness transmutes it into itself. St. Paul expressed this universal principle beautifully. Quote, Everything is shown up by being exposed to the light, and whatever is exposed to the light itself becomes light. Just as you cannot fight the darkness, you cannot fight the pain body. Trying to do so would create inner conflict and thus further pain. Watching it is enough. Watching it implies accepting it as part of what is at that moment. The pain body consists of trapped life energy that has split off from your total energy field and has temporarily become autonomous through the unnatural process of mind identification. It has turned in on itself and become anti-life, like an animal trying to devour its own tail. Why do you think our civilization has become so life-destructive? But even the life-destructive forces are still life energy. When you start to disidentify and become the watcher, the pain body will continue to operate for a while and will try to trick you into identifying with it again. Although you're no longer energizing it through your identification, it has a certain momentum, just like a spinning wheel that will keep turning for a while even when it is no longer being propelled. At this stage, it may also create physical aches and pains in different parts of the body, but they won't last. Stay present, stay conscious. Be the ever alert guardian of your inner space. You need to be present enough to be able to watch the pain body directly and feel its energy. It then cannot control your thinking. The moment your thinking is aligned with the energy field of the pain body, you are identified with it and again feeding it with your thoughts. For example, if anger is the predominant energy vibration of the pain body, and you think angry thoughts, dwelling on what someone did to you or what you're going to do to him or her, then you have become unconscious and the pain body has become, quote, you. Where there's anger, there's always pain underneath. Or when a dark mood comes upon you and you start getting into a negative mind pattern and thinking how dreadful your life is, your thinking has become aligned with the pain body and you have become unconscious and vulnerable to the pain body's attack. Quote, unconscious, the way that I use the word here, means to be identified with some mental or emotional pattern. It implies a complete absence of the watcher. Sustained conscious attention severs the link between the pain body and your thought processes and brings about the process of transmutation. It is as if the pain body becomes fuel for the flame of your consciousness, which then burns more brightly as a result. This is the esoteric meaning of the ancient art of alchemy, the transmutation of base metal into gold, of suffering into consciousness. The split within is healed, and you become whole again. Your responsibility then is to not create further pain. Let me summarize the process. 
Focus attention on the feeling inside you. Know that it is part of the pain body. Accept that it's there. Don't think about it. Don't let the feeling turn into thinking. Don't judge or analyze. Don't make an identity for yourself out of it. Stay present and continue to be the observer of what is happening inside you. Become aware of not only the emotional pain, but also of, quote, the one who observes, the silent watcher. This is the power of the now and the power of your own conscious presence. Then see what happens. For many women, the pain body awakens particularly at the time preceding the menstrual flow. I will talk about this and the reason for it in more detail later. Right now, let me say just this. If you're able to stay alert and present at that time and watch whatever you feel within, rather than be taken over by it, it affords an opportunity for the most powerful spiritual practice and a rapid transmutation of all past pain becomes possible. Ego Identification with the Pain Body The process that I've just described is profoundly powerful yet simple. It could be taught to a child, and hopefully one day it will be one of the first things children learn in school. Once you've understood the basic principle of being present as the watcher of what happens inside you, and you, quote, understand it by experiencing it, you have at your disposal the most potent transformational tool. This is not to deny that you may encounter intense inner resistance to disidentifying from your pain. This will be the case particularly if you've lived closely identified with your emotional pain body for most of your life and the whole or large part of your sense of self is invested in it. What this means is that you have made an unhappy self out of your pain body and believe that this mind-made fiction is who you are. In that case, unconscious fear of losing your identity will create strong resistance to any disidentification. In other words, you would rather be in pain, be the pain body, than take a leap into the unknown and risk losing the unfamiliar, unhappy self. If this applies to you, observe the resistance within yourself. Observe the attachment to your pain. Be very alert. Observe the peculiar pleasure you derive from being unhappy. Observe the compulsion to talk about or think about it. The resistance will cease if you make it conscious. If you can then take your attention to the pain body, stay present as the witness and so initiate its transmutation. Only you can do this. Nobody can do it for you. But if you are fortunate enough to find someone who is intensely conscious if you can be with them and join with them in the state of presence, that can be helpful and will accelerate things. In this way, your own light will quickly, quickly grow stronger. When a log that has only just started to burn is placed next to one that is burning fiercely, and after a while they're separated again, the first log will be burning with much greater intensity. After all, it is the same fire. To be such a fire is one of the functions of a spiritual teacher, some therapists may, be also, may also be able to fulfill that function, provided that they're gone, they have gone beyond the level of mind and create and sustain 
a state of intense conscious presence while they're working with you. The origin of fear. The question is, you mentioned fear as being part of our basic underlying emotional pain. How does fear arise? And why is there so much of it in people's lives? And isn't it a certain amount of fear? Isn't just a certain amount of fear just healthy self-protection? If I didn't have a fear of fire, I might put my hand in and get it burned. The reason why you don't put your hand in the fire is not because of fear. It's because you know that you'll get burned. You don't need fear to avoid unnecessary danger. Just a minimum amount of intelligence and common sense. For such practical matters, it is useful to apply the lessons learned in the past. Now, if someone threatened you with fire or physical violence, you might experience something like fear. This is an instinctive shrinking back from danger, but not the psychological condition of fear that we're talking about here. The psychological condition of fear is divorced from any concrete and true immediate danger. It comes in many forms. Unease, worry, anxiety, nervousness, tension, dread, phobia, and so on. This, is kind of this kind of psychological fear is always of something that might happen, not of something that is happening now. You are in the here and now, while your mind is in the future. This creates an anxiety gap. And if you are identifying with your mind and have lost touch with the power and simplicity of the now, that anxiety gap will be your constant companion. You can always cope with the present moment, but you cannot cope with something that is only a mind projection. You cannot cope with the future. Moreover, as long as you're identified with your mind, the ego runs your life, as I pointed out earlier. Because of its phantom nature, and despite the elaborate defense mechanisms, the ego is very vulnerable and insecure, and it sees itself as constantly under threat. This, by the way, is the case even if the ego is outwardly very confident. Now remember that an emotion is the body's reaction to your mind. What message is the body receiving continuously from the ego? The false, mind-made self. Danger? Am I under threat? And what is the emotion generated by this continuous message? Fear, of course. Fear seems to have many causes. Fear of loss, fear of failure, fear of being hurt, and so on. But ultimately all, ultimately, all fear is the ego's fear of death, of annihilation. To the ego, death is always just around the corner. In this mind-identified state, fear of death affects every aspect of your life. For example, even such a seemingly trivial and, quote, normal thing as the compulsive need to be right in an argument and make the other person wrong, defending the mental position with which you've identified is due to the fear of death. If you identify with a mental position, then you are wrong. Your mind-based sense of self is seriously threatened with annihilation. So you as the ego cannot afford to be wrong. To be wrong is to die. Wars have been fought over this and countless relationships have broken down. Once you have disidentified from your mind, whether you are right or wrong makes no difference to your sense of self at all. So the forcefully compulsive and deeply unconscious need to be right, which is a form of violence, will no longer be there. When you can state clearly and firmly how you feel or what you think, but there will be no aggressiveness or defensiveness about it. 
Your sense of self is then derived from a deeper and truer place within yourself, not from the mind. Watch out for any kind of defensiveness within yourself. What are you defending? An illusory identity? An image of your mind? A fictitious identity? By making this pattern conscious, by witnessing it, you disidentify from it. In the light of your consciousness, the unconscious pattern will then quickly dissolve. This is the end of all arguments and power games, which are so corrosive to relationships. Power over others is weakened, disguise, weakness disguised as strength. True power is within, and it's available to you now. So anyone who's identified with their mind, therefore, disconnected from their true power, their deeper self rooted in being, will have fear as their constant companion. The number of people who have gone beyond mind is yet extremely small, so you can assume that virtually everyone you meet or know lives in a state of fear. Only the intensity of it varies. It fluctuates between anxiety and dread at one end of the scale and a vague unease and distant sense of threat at the other. Most people become unconscious of it only when it takes on one of its more acute forms. The ego's search for wholeness. Another aspect of the emotional pain that is, that is an intrinsic part of the egoic mind is a deep-seated sense of lack or incompleteness or not being whole. In some people, this is conscious, in others, unconscious. If it is conscious, it manifests as an unsettling and constant feeling of not being worthy or good enough. If it is unconscious, it will only be felt indirectly as an intense craving, wanting, and needing. In either case, people will often enter into compulsive pursuit of ego gratification and things to identify with in order to fill this hole they feel within. So they strive after possessions, money, success, power, recognition, or special relationship, basically so they can feel better about themselves, feel more complete. But even when they attain all these things, they soon find that the hole is still there, that it's bottomless. Then they're really in trouble because they cannot delude themselves anymore. Well, they can and do, but it gets more difficult. As long as the egoic mind is running your life, you cannot truly be at ease. You cannot be at peace or fulfilled except for brief intervals when you've obtained what you wanted, when a craving has just been fulfilled. Since the ego is derived of sense of self, it needs to identify with external things. It needs to be both defended and fed constantly. The most common ego identifications have to do with possessions, the work you do, social status and recognition, knowledge and education, physical appearance, special abilities, relationships, personal and family history, belief systems, and often also political, nationalistic, racial, religious, and other collective identifications. None of these is you. Do you find this frightening? Or is it a relief to know this? All of these things you will have to relinquish sooner or later. Perhaps you find it as yet hard to believe. And I'm certainly not asking you to believe that your identity cannot be found in any of those things. You will know the truth of it for yourself. You will know it at least at the latest when you feel death approaching. Death is a stripping away of all that is not you. The secret of life is to, quote, die before you die and find that there is no death.
And that wraps up chapter two of The Power of Now. This chapter is is definitely one of my favorites in the book. This is one that I've I've probably read the most um, over and over. I can tell by looking at the bookmarks and the markings that I have on this one. Um, but I mean, this one resonates so deeply with me. I mean, I know a lot of people who this applies to. Uh, you know, it, it applied to me at a certain time. Uh, you know, I can look back at a certain time where a lot of these concepts that were in this chapter definitely applied to me. But um, reading this, I can think of several people who I've known in my life who just literally cannot avoid an argument. Who can never be wrong. I mean, they can argue that the sky is blue and, you know, they would, they would sit there and tell you that it's not um, just for the sake of an argument, just because they don't ever want to be wrong. And, you know, this explains a lot of that away. It explains a lot of the things that creep up in our life and the things that we maybe don't like about ourselves, which makes this whole growing process a bit painful at times because you're, you're basically divorcing your old self. You're, you're trying to unzip out of a, of an old self and step into something else. And a lot of the time that zipper gets stuck, you know, it doesn't want to let go. So it's, uh, it's, it's very eye opening to read these things after you've gone through this journey. I mean, when I read this, it was kind of at the beginning steps and I had a lot of growth to go and I still do. Um, but reading this and looking back on what this meant to be, what this meant to me before I really understood its concepts, and now being able to look in the rearview mirror and apply a lot of what this says to what I went through in my life, it's very powerful. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed this reading. I know I did, and I will try and get on the uh, the next chapter as soon as I possibly can. The holidays are right around the corner. I'm recording this on the day before Christmas Eve. And we have a lot of plans coming up. Uh, I hope everybody enjoys their season in any way, shape, or form. Um, But we'll return very soon with the next chapter of this. I'm excited to get that one uh, read. But the next chapter that we'll read is chapter three, Moving Deeply Into the Now. Don't Seek Yourself in the Mind. I want to thank you all for tuning into this reading of The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle produced by namaste publishing take care everybody keep living and thanks for listening